following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jess. Good evening, everybody. My, my, my. <laughs> Lord, this church is a growing. <laughs> We're moving on up to the east side of the city. We finally got a piece of the rock. What a joy to see all of you tonight, and it is an honor. You know, this is really not a service night here, but you folks have just uh, felt so sorry for me and Pastor Brad and Pastor Philip. We've had to preach to these bare walls, and it, uh, it's not a lot of fun. It's a whole lot more fun to look at people in the face and to see their smiling faces and to see the fact that they're eager to be in the house of God, and you folks are eager to be in the house of God. And what a joy it is tonight. What a joy. Now, we are looking forward to Sunday. <clears throat> Sunday's going to be a great day. For all you that are listening in and tuning in, I'm getting a little uh, reverb here, getting a little echo here. If I could get that fixed, I'd appreciate it. We are, uh, we're looking forward to Sunday. Sunday's going to be baptismal Sunday, and I will be speaking in that service. And I'm going to speak and preach a special message on water baptism. I'm going to talk about it and the importance of it in our lives and in our hearts. It's very important. Jesus spoke about it when he first started ministering. It's the last thing he said before he left this earth. So, and the fact that he got in the Jordan River without sin kind of lets us know that perhaps it is an important thing in our life. And so if you haven't taken the plunge in water baptism, it would, it would behoove you to do that and to walk into the water and say, you know what, I want to make this happen in my life. I want to make my life complete. I want to make my life and my journey just right with God. I want to identify with Him. That's what it's all about. Would you stand, you that's in the audience here right now, we've got, we've got a growing number showing up on Wednesday night. We have, we have some young people that are learning internship upstairs, and parents that bring their kids here uh, stay for church, and we appreciate that. And then some of our staff, some of our, uh, our dream team is here tonight, and we thank you for that so very much. Some of our prayer pastors are in this house tonight and people that are working tirelessly for the church. I tell you what, I'm about ready. I'm about ready for this thing to be over. How about you? I'm about ready for this to be over. I'm about ready to move on to something else, to another class. All right, I think we've passed this class. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak tonight. I'm going to preach tonight on something that I have preached on here before. I don't normally say those things because it rarely happens. But I've preached on this before. I preached on this when we were in a high time, in a great time, in a wonderful moment. But now it's been two years, and we're not in a wonderful moment. We're not in a great, great time in our world. We're in a difficult time. But I want you to understand something. The God of the mountain yes. Yes. is the same God when you're in the valley. The God that told Gideon when he had 32,000 warriors, I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid. You're a mighty man of valor. When he lost 22,000 and then 10 more thousand, and he got down to 300, or 9,700, he got down to 300, he was the same God to 300 that he was to 32,000. 
thousand. God never changes his perspective. He can't change. He is forever the God that he is. And even when we're not faithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. And so I'm going to preach tonight. I'm going to speak tonight on this Wednesday night to your life and your heart on a subject I call covenant keepers, covenant keepers. I'm going to talk about covenant keepers. And I want to say this, our God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. Not only does he make covenants, but he keeps covenants. Would you clap your hands and say, I'll help you tonight, pastor. And you in the house and you in your homes, you that's tuning in, by whatever platform you're tuning in, we're happy to have you. And we're looking forward to a massive day on Sunday. And I can also concur with Pastor Phil. I walk the church every day when we get back from lunch, we go through and see how much they've done for the kingdom. And every day it's better and better and better and growing and growing and growing and, and they're doing more. And I'm still believing by December the 20th, we're going to have Christmas service in there. I still believe it with all that, all that I am and all that I ever hope to be. God bless you. You may be seated. You're awesome people. And you folks in your house, you're awesome also. And we'll be back together very soon. <clears throat> you know, I was raised as a kid to enjoy westerns, John Wayne. I love John Wayne. Michael Marion Morrison, I love John Wayne. Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, Lone Ranger, Paladin, and yes, Walker, Texas Ranger. I read that the most watched made-for-TV movie was a, was, a, was a show called Crossfire Trail. And in the story, the hero travels hundreds of miles to keep his promise to a dying friend. The main bad guy in the film laments that his plans are being destroyed by the hero's arrival, and he states this, what kind of dinosaur, what kind of dinosaur upends his whole life to keep his promise to a dying man, to a dying man. Keeping promises, folks, creates heroes. And I trust that I'm talking and speaking to, not only here in the building, but in your home, I hope I'm preaching to promise keepers tonight. And if you're not, start listening, because we need to become that. One of my favorite Westerns ever was Lonesome Dove, and one Texas Ranger, Woodrow Call, makes a vow to another that he will bury him in Texas no matter where he dies. And riding across the country on horseback, he completes a three-month pilgrimage to get Ranger Gus McCray back to Lonesome Dove. He made a promise. He kept a promise. David in Acts 13.22 was called a man after God's own heart. And the Bible goes on to say, which shall fulfill all my will. Everybody say, fulfill all God's will. All his will. Some say that David was called that because he had a repentant heart. He did. Some say it was his worship. It was. Some declare it was his heart's desire to be in the house of God. I believe that. All the above that I've just mentioned are true. Yet David was like God in the fact that he was a covenant keeper. Say it with me, covenant keeper. His word was his bond. My dad told me a long time ago, said, son, 
it's going to get to where you're going to have to sign about 15 pieces of paper to buy anything one day. But always be the kind of man that you shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye, and give, you their, give them your word, and they can trust your word for the rest of their lives. That's the kind of people that people are looking for. Let me introduce David's story. His life could not be better. He had just been crowned king. His throne room smelled fresh. He was already rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was home, his prized possession. Gold and silver overflowed in the king's coffers. And the enemies were keeping a safe distance because David was a revered and feared king. He was a mighty warrior. And the days of ducking Saul for 10 years was just a memory. But in his memory, David remembers one day in, in the palace. He remembers one day a promise he made to Jonathan, Saul's son. When Saul had threatened to kill David, Jonathan had fought and devised a mean to save David. When he shot the arrows in the field and said, the arrows are beyond you, which meant run away. Don't come back because you'll die here. You'll live out there. And Jonathan succeeded and then asked David to show him kindness if he died. Because I think Jonathan saw the writing on the wall. Saul, his father, was out of the will of God because he sought not the things of God. And Jonathan wanted David to show loving kindness to his family in 1 Samuel 20 Verse 15, he said, never cut off kindness. Please, I'm asking you to never cut kindness off from my family. And Jonathan died, but David's promise never did die. To David, a covenant was no small matter. When you catalog all the things that David did well, the word promise, say it with me, promise, survives the cut and makes the short list. David was a promise keeper. If I can fast forward to modern times, perhaps during this pandemic, there's been depression in homes and there's been dreary days and there's been cabin fever. And there's been times when you think, God, I can't take another day of this. When are we going to be able to get out? And perhaps a depressed wife lives with a husband that's trying to cheer her up and he knows the challenges of a promise. She stumbles through perhaps a gloomy fog and the wonders that and he wonders what happened to the girl that he married. Can he keep a promise in a time like this time? Many people say there will be as many divorces as there are babies born after this is all over. Perhaps the wife is the wife of a man who stepped outside the marriage and now he's not faithful. He stepped out and he's back and he's sorry and she's hurt. And she wonders, he broke his promise, do I keep mine? Because that's what happens. And then perhaps there's parents of prodigals, and there's parents of runaways, and then there's parents of kids that may never be fully capacitated in life. They'll be incapacitated for the rest of their days, disabled, even parents of healthy toddlers. The honeymoon is over. Now the quiet evenings are buried between, beneath a mountain of dirty diapers and, and short nights. Let me go back now to King David. Enter Mephibosheth. The advisor summoned Ziba, who was a former servant of Saul, and now had come into the kingdom of David. And the question, did he know of a surviving member of Saul's household? Take a good look at Ziba's answer. He said, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame on his feet. 2 Samuel 9 and 3. 
And Ziba mentions no name, just that the son is lame. But there's kind of the disclaimer from Ziba's mouth, his voice. He said, be careful, kind of, David, be careful. This young man isn't, as you would say it, suited for the palace. You might think twice about keeping the promise that you made to Jonathan because this kid is messed up. And when Mephibosheth was five, his father and his grandfather died at the hands of the Philistines at the mount called Gilboa. And knowing the Philistines' brutality, the family of Saul headed for the hills. And as a nurse picked up that little five-year-old boy, Mephibosheth, to run, she tripped and dropped the boy and broke both his ankles, leaving him incurably lame. Servants carried him to Lodabar. The name Lodabar means without pasture. You not need to keep that in your mind. Everybody say without pasture. There's a lot of people that have left the palace and gone into Lodabar during this time. A lot of great things that have happened in their life, and now they're at Lodabar. They're at a place with no pasture, no place to feed their wildlife, and no place to feed their animals, and no place to feed their herds and their flocks, and no place to bless the family. They've lost their job. They're not fulfilled anymore. They've gone from here to here very, very quickly. And it's important that even at that windblown tumbleweed desert, when Mephibosheth hid there, he was fearful not only of the Philistines, but he was fearful of King David. Because here was the policy in the Old Testament. When a king was killed, when a king was killed and his family was killed, all, all, the, all the family members had to die. They all had to die. They had to wipe them out. See, Mephibosheth was third in line behind his father, the, the crown prince, Jonathan. And so he went to hide. They took him to hide. He was victimized. He was ostracized. He was disabled and he was hiding away from David. But David sent and used this word. He said, when you go to Lodabar at Micar's house, I want you to fetch him. I want you to fetch him. I love that word. In other words, he said, when you get there, get down to business and make sure you bring back the prince to me. I want him in the palace. I want to declare something to you. Even when life is not fair in your world, there is someone in the palace. There's a king in his palace that is sending emissaries to you right now and saying, I want them in my house. I don't want them dying at a place called Lodabar without pasture. I want them to live in my house. Oh, I want to preach here tonight. Hallelujah. And so he's brought to the palace, and he fearfully enters, and David restores everything that he had lost by the death of his grandfather and the death of his own dad, Jonathan. He restores his land. He restores his money. And faster than you can say Mephibosheth twice, he says, there's one other thing I'm going to give you, son. I'm going to let you eat at my table for the rest of your life. You're going to eat here. And that is a message in itself, but I'm going to go further than that. He gets promoted from Lodabar to the king's table, from a place of no pasture to a place of green pasture, from goodbye obscurity to hallow royalty and reality. David could have sent a money to Lodabar. A lifelong annuity would have, hap would have helped it would have generously fulfilled the promise that he had made to Jonathan. But David gave Mephibosheth more than a pension. He gave him a palace. 
and he gave him a place at the table. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, when Jesus steps up and when he makes his words, they are real and they are genuine and they're forever lasting. I'm here to declare he does not want anybody dying and being crippled in a place called Lodabar. He wants you in his house, healed and healthy and whole and eating at his table. And the kid who had no legs to stand on now has everything to live for. You know why? Because he impressed David? Because he convinced David? Because he coerced David? No. Mephibosheth did nothing. A promise. The king promised that boy's daddy that he would take care of him. The king was kind, not because the boy was deserving, but because the promise was enduring. Let me just say it again. You read First and Second Kings, and then you read First and Second Chronicles, and it's amazing that two books are followed by two books who say almost the same thing. It's as if God is saying, I'm going to speak through you here, to you here, I'm going to speak to you here. If you didn't get it this time, you're going to get it this time. And I believe God has told me to stand up here on this Wednesday night and talk to everyone in the sound of my voice and by this wonderful way of medium that we have, this media that we have to get to where you are. It's an awesome thing to tell you that God spoke this to us two years ago and He's speaking it to us again tonight because He wants you to understand that He speaks as a king and He also can speak as a servant. God is a great God and He's talking to us right now. We're not in the same position as we were two years ago, but He's the same God that He was two years ago. Somebody help me preach right now. He's still a promise keeper. Now here's what I want you to know. I do know that he, he survived for 15 years at the table because David's son Absalom rebels 15 years later. And David is forced to leave Jerusalem and run away because Absalom is, has overthrown his kingdom. And Ziba, the servant that told him about Mephibosheth, leaves with David. And on the journey out of Jerusalem, Ziba tells David that Mephibosheth sided with the enemy. He sided with them. And after Absalom dies, he's, he gets his hair caught in the tree and darts are pierced through his heart by Joab. David returns to Jerusalem and Mephibosheth gives David another version of the story. He said, Sir, Ziba left. He left me behind. I was not able to go on two bad feet. So here's the question, who was telling the truth? Zeba, who said he sided with the enemy, or Mephibosheth, who said, I couldn't run because my feet were bad. Who's telling the truth? David never asked. You know why? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Mephibosheth, his place in the palace did not depend on his behavior, but on a promise from the king. Do you know what grace is? Can I just tell you what grace is? I just told you what grace was. It doesn't depend on how good you act. It depends on how great God's Word is. And God's Word is forever settled in heaven. And you walk in here with all your trials and all your troubles and all your situations and all your issues, and God says, I still love you. I love you when you stink. I love you when you smell good. I love you when you're down. I love you when you're up. I love you when you're out. I love you when you're in. I am your God, and I'm a promise keeper. Oh, hallelujah. 
So why was David so loyal? And how is David so loyal? David, where'd you get that kind of resolve? And David would say, my story is about God's story. The Lord is a covenant-keeping God. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 7 and 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Everybody say a thousand generations. People say that a generation is 40 years, so 40,000 years. God's seen a lot of pandemics in 40,000 years, hadn't He? He's seen a lot of droughts. He's seen a lot of burnout. He's seen a lot of defeat. He's seen a lot of people fall down. He's seen a lot of people look like it's not going to happen. He's seen a lot of that. But the Bible said He is a God, a faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for 40,000 years to those that love Him and keep His commandment. Can you give that kind of God a hand clap right now? He's a God that keeps His promise. God makes and never breaks His promises. The Hebrew word for covenant here is bereth, is a solemn agreement with a binding force. A solemn agreement with a binding force. When God says it's so, it is so. Two things you need to know about this God that's a covenant keeper. His promises, say it with me, are yea and amen. Say it, yea and amen. And the second thing you need to know is it's impossible for God to lie. Oh, you didn't get that. You're going to get it before I get through. His promises are yea and not nay, but amen. And it is impossible for God to lie. His promises run a tapestry through the whole word. Noah, I'm going to give you a rainbow. I'll never destroy the world by water again. Abraham in Genesis 15, I'm going to tell you about a promise. God said counting stars and counting descendants would be an equal challenge, the sand of the sea. But to secure the oath, God had Abraham cut cut several animals in half. And in ancient East, the promise maker passed between the divided animal carcasses. In a figure eight, an eight means new beginnings, a new beginning. Saying, I will meet the same fate if I break my word that these animals have met. God takes promises seriously and seals them dramatically. But one of my greatest stories in the Bible is a man named Hosea. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, God commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. If her profession doesn't get you, her name will. Who would name their daughter Gomer? Who would name their daughter Gomer? I'm sorry. If you're named Gomer, go to the courthouse and get your name changed. (laughs) Hosea obeyed, and Gomer gave birth to three children, none of whom were Hosea's. None of whom were Hosea's. Gomer abandoned Hosea for the equivalent life of a stripper at a nightclub. Rock bottom for her came at the form of an auction pit one day where men bid on her as a slave. Lesser men would have waved her off, but not Hosea. He jumped on the bidding and bought back his wife and took her home again. Why? Here's Hosea's explanation, Hosea 3, 1 and 2. God ordered me to buy her back as an example of the way God loves his people. Can I declare something to somebody in your house tonight or in this house here tonight? Some of you may have said, you know what? This God thing is not going to work out. 
I got a vote right in November. Let me tell you who you vote for in November. You write Jesus in there as a, as a candidate. You vote on Jesus Christ. You know I'm just messing with you right now. But there's nobody going to help us like Jesus is going to help us. Nobody's going to bring us out of anything like Jesus is. Somebody help me preach right now. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. He's the only way. Amen, amen, amen. You need a picture of a promise keeping God. Look at Hosea buying back his wife. Look at the smoldering pot passing between the animals. Look at the rainbow and the clouds for Noah. Or look at Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table for at least 15 long years. Or look in the mirror. We all were born children of the king. But many of us have been left hobbling because of a stumble of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. We have meandered along the dry sands of Lodabar without a pasture. But then came the palace messenger to us. A teacher, perhaps a work buddy, an uncle, a preacher, maybe a child. And they came with the news, hey, you're not going to believe this. There's a king that sent me here today. And there's a place for you at his table in his palace. And the place card is printed. And the chair is empty. And he wants you in his family. And you say, it's probably because I'm so smart. He wants me. Maybe because he thinks I have money. Or I have a retirement account, a 401k. Perhaps he thinks I'm skilled and gifted and talented. Or my good works. Sorry. That doesn't count. This invitation has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who he is. God is a covenant keeper. He keeps his promises. And you're welcome in his house today. You're welcome in his house today. I read G. Campbell Morgan was approached by a miner. Morgan was a great preacher who said he had trouble believing that it, he could just receive forgiveness so easy from God. He said, it's just too cheap. It's just too cheap to get that kind of forgiveness. And Dr. Morgan asked him if he worked in the mine that day. And he said, yes, sir, I did. He said, how'd you get out of the pit? And the man said, the, usual, the way I usually do, I got out in the cage. How much did you pay to come out of, the, out of the pit? Well, nothing, said the miner. And Morgan asked, weren't you afraid to trust the cage if you paid nothing? Oh, no, it wasn't cheap, Dr. Morgan. It cost the company a lot of money to sink that shaft into the ground. And all of a sudden, the miner saw the light and realized it had cost the Lord a whole lot to bring us grace for free. Or it's like the man that ordered breakfast in a restaurant in the South. And when breakfast came, grits were on the plate. And the man turned to the waitress and said, ma'am, I didn't order grits. And she smiled and said, you didn't have to. It comes with the meal in the South. Hey, grace comes with the church and God's church and God's kingdom. It's just part of the deal. Aren't you glad that we had a graceful God coming into this pandemic? There's been a grace of God during this pandemic, and we're going to see the grace of God coming out of this pandemic because he is, come on, clap your hands real big. He's a covenant keeper. He's a covenant keeper. He's a covenant keeper. 
Randy, if you'll help me. Oh, I told you Mephibosheth didn't do anything. That's not entirely the case. He did one thing noteworthy. In 2 Samuel 9 and 6, it states that when Mephibosheth was come to David the king, the promise keeper, the man who would change his life, the Bible said he fell on his face and did reverence. He did reverence. You know what he did? He worshiped the king. He worshiped him. He worshiped the promise keeper. And when he did, King David called him Mephibosheth. He called him by his name, Mephibosheth. And that name means the reproach has been taken away. <laughs> Say it with me. The reproach has been taken away. Eradication or extermination of all of his shame. Jonathan had given his son that name to take away the reproach of his father Saul when his father Saul did not respond to the call of God and didn't do right. And the Spirit left him. Hear this, Pastor. You do not have to raise your family like you were raised if you wasn't raised right. The devil has told you if your dad did this certain thing, then you would be just like him. It's a generational curse. You will too. If your dad was a drug dealer, you'll be that. If your dad was an alcoholic, you'll wind up there. If your mama ran the streets and was a prostitute, you'll be the same, dear darling. Your family can be the family, though, that takes away the reproach. I tell every young married couple when I marry them, every young married couple, I say you're 23 pair of chromosomes, you're 23 pair, and together you're 46. You're the most unique 46 on this earth because you're the only one that has your uniqueness. Go start your life and live your life and let God direct your life. Everybody can start over. Worship does not need to be a hardship in your life. And now David calls the crippled prince by the same birth name. The king did not call the worshiper a crippled prince, but he called him Mephibosheth. Your reproach has been taken away. The Lord calls his worshipers by name, the princely name you were born with. Does anybody feel like just clapping your hands right now and saying, I love you, Jesus? I heard this as a message from the kings, but I'm hearing it tonight as a message from the chronicles. God keeps his promise. God loves unconditionally. We've got to do the same. We must be worshipers. You need to reverence. You need to worship him. The Bible said in John 4, 24, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I know I've got everything capped. But that word right there is a little s. It's not a big s. That's a little s. That means your spirit. That means your spirit. I think it would be very apropos tonight in the close of this service if we stood to our feet and we said, Lord, I thank you because you're the same God that you was on the other side. The God of the mountain is the God where I am right now. The God in the palace 
is the same God that's in Lodabar, in the place where there's no pasture. When I lost my job, you're the same God. When my family walked out on me, you're the same God. It's the same God, the same God. Everybody said He changes not. You know, there's some things you may never be free of in your life. Mephibosheth had some baggage. He had a past. He had a lot of fear. He had some doubt, yet he worshiped. When you've been invited to the king's palace, it doesn't matter what your holdbacks are. At least one thing you can do when you come to the house of God is worship. When the demoniac man in Mark 5 came to the Lord, 2,000 demons named Legion could not stop him from worshiping. I'm here to declare nothing should stop us from praising and worshiping God because He's going to bring us out of this completely. He is a covenant-keeping God. A covenant God of promise deserves our best praise. So when you go home tonight, and when you put the bluebell back in the refrigerator, and you put the Oreo cookies up after eating three or four of them with your glass of milk or whatever you do, why don't you just lift your hands in your house? Why don't you just have some house worship? Just lift your hands in your house and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let me tell you something as a pastor. Let me get honest with you. I have hurt during this pandemic. I have hurt, desperately hurt, because I'm about people. I'm about seeing people being blessed by the hand of God and preaching to an empty building for so long for almost six months and not having an amen and not having anybody to have light in their eyes to receive the word of the Lord. It is, it's bothered me deeply. I've laid awake at night. Don't feel sorry for me. It's just a pastor's heart. I've laid awake at night saying, God, we need some help. And God tapped me on the shoulder many nights and said, I'm the same God. I'm the same God. We're going to come out of this. You're going to make it through this. We're going to see greater days than we've ever seen in our life. He's promised that, and I'm preaching that right now. He's a God of promise. He keeps His promise. I love what poet Langston Hughes said. He said, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It's been tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up bare. <laughs> and I've got some splinters in me. Some have gone through this pandemic a little angry. Some are disappointed. Some your marriage is hurting, but looking back, you've got a promise keeping God. Why don't you make a promise to that God to keep that marriage together and keep that home together? Why you say so you can understand the depths of God's love by being the promise keeper in your own home. Keep the porch light on for the prodigal. Promise keeping enrolls you in the post-grad school of God's love. There's a man that visits this church from time to time. He's an older man and I close. It's time to quit. He'd go visit his wife in a rest home. She had a, she's a victim of Alzheimer's and dementia. She never knew when he was there and when he left. And one day, a nurse at the nurse's station said to him, Sir, your wife will never know the difference. She's at rest, well taken care of. Go on and live life. It's all right. He turned to her and said, She may not know I was here but I will know I was here. And I made a promise, and I will die keeping that promise.
Here's what I want you to declare tonight. I want you to say, Lord, I know, I know your promises. Say it. I know your promises are yea and amen. And let me give you one, Lord. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm never going to throw away my confidence. I'm never going to cast out my faith. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to believe in you until you talk, call me home. You have been the best friend I've ever had in my life. And I will not walk away from you during any problem in my life. Come on, clap your hands real big. I love you. You and your homes, I love you very, very much. Amen. Everybody say, I can't wait till Sunday.